Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Trinity Church in Carryville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, please visit our website, trinity901.com. So when I was in college, I was wanting to go to law school and wanting to be an attorney. And so I did an internship with the city attorney in the town I grew up in, Gadsden, Alabama. And one day I went with him to court. And there was a group of prisoners that were brought from the county jail and placed in a room. And there were two deputies who sat outside the door to make sure that they were being watched over, that no one would leave, that everything would be in order. And I happened to be sitting right behind them. This is where the attorney told me to sit. And they were wearing khaki pants and a white shirt, golf shirt, with the logo on it. I happened to be wearing that day khaki pants with a white golf shirt. And I'm sitting behind them, and suddenly they get up. And they turn around, and they look at me, and they go, guard the prisoners. And they're gone. And I thought, surely they're talking to someone behind me. uh, A sheriff's deputy with a badge, with a gun. And I look behind me, and guess what? I'm it. And so I didn't want to leave the prisoners inside this room to go find someone to help. So I decided, with great wisdom as a 21-year-old, that I was going to pretend to be a sheriff's deputy. And so I went and I sat in the chair right in front of the room where these 10 or so prisoners were located. And I sat down, and if you could sit down with authority, I tried to sit down with authority. And a few minutes after placing myself there, they started kind of talking loud, and the judge kept looking over. And I just thought, I'm going to have to do it. I'm going to have to play the part. And so I looked inside the room with all of these these men, and I said, quiet down. And they did. And then I went and I sat down. And a few minutes passed by, and I had to do it again. A third time came, and I just had to pretend in some sense to be like an elementary school teacher. I stood up, I came in the room, and I looked at them, and I said, don't make me come in here again. And they just kind of nodded their heads, and they got quiet, and I went and sat back in my chair. A few minutes later, the the deputies came back in the room. I wish I had a picture to show you of the expression on their face when they realized this is not a sheriff's deputy. This is a goofball 21-year-old who's interning for the city attorney. And he said, I moved over, he sat down, and with a very stern face, he looked at me and he said, this will never be told to anyone. (laughs) Well, clearly I've broken that promise this morning. I I was an, an intern for the city attorney, a college student. I had no authority. I, the only reason they obeyed me is because I fooled them. 
And so this morning, we're going to come to Mark chapter 11, and we've reached a critical point concerning who Jesus is as King and who Jesus is as Messiah. And Mark is asking the question to his his readers in Rome, does this man have authority or is this a goofball? Is this someone who is unimportant? Is this someone who has no authority over anything? Let's pray. Lord God, these are your words and they are true. And you have all the authority and we are your servants. And I pray, Father, that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that you would open our ears, and that this text would sink to the very depths of our soul, drawing us closer to you and helping us to understand on a greater level how much you love us, how much you care for us, and how much you have forgiven us. We thank you for the authority of Jesus over our lives. Amen. So as we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, this is a critical juncture, critical turning point in the Gospel of Mark. We know that from the beginning of Mark chapter 1, Jesus has been on a mission. He has a focus to go to Jerusalem. He is the one who is going to ascend the hill. He is the one that is going to save God's people. And all along the way, Mark has been showing us that he is the king who has come to establish his kingdom. The deaf hear, the blind see, the crippled walk. This is all fulfillment. These are all fulfilled prophecies of the Old Testament. Mark is shouting, this is the Messiah, the long-awaited Redeemer of the people of Israel. Let us rejoice. Let us believe. Let us accept Him. Let us follow after Him. Let us live the resurrected life because He is the one who has brought us resurrection. This is Jesus. This is our King. And so... A few weeks ago, he rides the donkey into Jerusalem. This is fulfilling Old Testament prophecies. He goes to the temple and he's very upset because the court of the Gentiles is filled with people who are selling sacrifices to the pilgrims who have come to Jerusalem. Now, as I told you two weeks ago, I always envisioned that a place no bigger than this right here with a few people selling sacrifices. It was, in fact, the court of Gentiles over 30 acres in size. This is the place where the nations of the world were to come and to pray to God and to worship Him because Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations. Now, they were not. They failed at this. There was great covenant disobedience on their part in being priests to the nations. And so they're now using this court to sell these sacrifices. As Jesus is upset about this. He, he is upset that this place for the Gentiles to come and worship Yahweh is not available to them. He's also upset because they're taking advantage of these pilgrims and the price of these sacrifices. And so it's a very difficult and challenging situation. And as you know, He cleanses the temple. I've had people ask me in the past, was it wrong for Jesus to be that angry? And I always ask the question, if a thief breaks into your home, do you have the right to be upset? And Jesus did. This was His temple. This is where God's presence rested amongst the people of Israel. This is where He is. 
And Jesus has come and He's saying, this is where the Gentiles should be. This is where they should come for worship. And you should treat the pilgrims who have come to worship God fairly. You should not take advantage of this. And this is a this is condemnation towards the religious leaders of Jesus' day. You are, you're sinning. And you are sinning in My temple. How dare you do this? And He exercises judgment upon them. And we are reminded of that and how He curses the fig tree. And He leaves Jerusalem and then He comes back. And we are now beginning the Passion Week. We are now moving towards the cross. And the religious leaders, the religious, excuse me, the religious leaders are upset and they want to do away with Jesus. This is an ongoing theme in the Gospel of Mark. But it seems like their efforts are more concentrated. We've got to do something about him. He's popular. The people like Him. He is pointing fingers at us. And so when Jesus comes back in our text, we see that they challenge Him. And Jesus catches them in a very thorny situation. Because He's saying, if you don't believe that John was sent from heaven, then the people who supported John, who loved John, who believed in John, are going to turn on you. So Jesus has them trapped because they in essence would be saying, we don't believe that you're sent from heaven. We don't believe that you have been sent by God. And they know that the people, because Jesus was very popular at that time, we know that the, the, the leaders of Jerusalem, the leaders of Israel, that they're afraid that Jesus is going to turn on them as well. And so, if you'll notice from the text, they answer Him, we do not know. The expression caught between a rock and a hard place. This is where they are as the religious leaders of Israel. Jesus has put them in this uncomfortable spot. And as we move towards the cross and Calvary, we're going to see that they are going to double down on their efforts now to come for Jesus. Because He is a threat to the order. He's a threat to the religious system. He's a threat to their corruption. He's a threat to power. Jesus is the one who turns everything upside down. That has not changed. Jesus is still the one in 2020, who is a threat to everything. Jesus is the one who can turn everything upside down. And so the world doubles down on who? On Jesus, yeah. Right. And so one of the things that I love about this passage, He's come as the King, He's cleansed the temple, He is, he is addressing the religious leaders and their sinfulness face to face. He's challenging. One of the things I love the way this passage unfolds and how Mark is writing this, he is putting Jesus before us and he's saying, you believe that he either has authority or he has no authority. So what's it going to be? Do you believe that John the Baptist was sent by God or not? 
Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Son of Man, the One who rules the Word that has come in the flesh, who has all authority? Mark is telling his audience in Rome they are mostly Gentile but partly Jewish. He is asking them in light of the resurrection and the people that you know personally that have seen Him resurrected, the stories that you've heard about this Jewish rabbi, this teacher, this carpenter, what do you believe? Do you accept the authority of Jesus Christ or not? And so, it's the same for us this morning. We come to this place and Jesus is here. He is present with us. And according to His Word, He's asking us, do you believe in my authority or not? And so there's four things we're going to look at this morning regarding that issue. The first is Jesus' authority over our fears, His authority over our sin, His authority over our blindness, deafness, and muteness, and finally, His authority over our death. So let's talk about Jesus and His authority and us today and our fears. So look at Mark chapter 4. Let's go back in the Gospel of Mark. Again, this has all been building in this Gospel. Who is Jesus? What authority does He have? Mark chapter 4, beginning with verse 39. And He awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Be still, excuse me, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? It's a wonderful passage. You're familiar with this passage of Jesus in the boat and He calms the storm. He calms the seas. Now Mark is wanting us to understand that He is the Creator over all of creation. And thus when the Kingdom of God interjects itself, you're getting a picture in the Gospel of Mark chapter 4 of the end time. Of when the Kingdom has come in all its fullness. That Jesus will be in control of all things. All things will be made right. All things will be made peaceful. All things will be restored. Complete shalom. And we see a picture of Jesus doing this. Sound asleep in a boat. He wakes up. Storms calm. And so they're getting a tiny glimpse of what the kingdom of God in His fullness will look like. But there's also something else here. He says to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? When Jesus has authority over your life, you have nothing to fear. Nothing. Now, we are frail, broken, sinful people. And often we will be afraid. Often we will be greatly afraid. But Jesus is standing over us in full authority as our God and our King. And He's saying to us, have no fear. Because if you belong to Me, whatever happens in your life, I am in control. In life and in death. And so if things do not go your way in life, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to have fear. You don't have to be downcast. You know that Jesus is your master and that He is in control and that He is working out your life according to His will. 
that we can be safe around Jesus, our Savior. He is the firm foundation. He's telling His disciples in this text, do not be afraid. You have no reason to fear because I am your Lord and I am your Savior and I am your God and I am in control and you belong to me. I've got you. And nothing's going to happen to you. I remember when John Hunter was a little guy. We were on a roller coaster. And it's an old roller coaster. And it looks old. And it begins to take off. And I am really doubting as to why we got on this roller coaster in the first place. Because it's... It just looks like in some parts it's falling down. And I mean, I don't normally pray when I get on a roller coaster. I prayed. And we're going over the hills, and John Hunter has this look on his face that he's about to just fly out of the roller coaster to his death. And as I look at how small he is, and I look at the lack of proper safety equipment, I realize. He could possibly slide out of the car and fall to his demise. And so I reach over and grab him and bring him to me. And for the next two minutes, with superhuman strength, I hold on to him because I love him deeply. And I know that no harm can come to him if I hold him on this rickety, old, broken down looking roller coaster. And this is what Mark chapter 11 is saying to us. Jesus in this sinful, fallen, broken, rickety world is beside you. And He has His arms around you. And He is holding you tightly because you are His. He is your older brother. And He is not going to let you go. No matter the circumstances. And you may not fully understand that. He has us, and He loves us, and we should not be afraid. Then there's Jesus' authority over sin. Look at, go a few chapters back further and look at Mark chapter 2, 10 through 12. Another familiar story. The paralytic coming through the roof, being lowered before Jesus by his friends but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And He rose and immediately picked up His bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. So Jesus healed the paralytic. It's a glimpse of the kingdom of God coming in all its fullness. We have COVID, we have cancer, we have heart disease, we have difficult issues and sicknesses that affect us and affect our friends and our family and it's discouraging and it's hard. And Jesus is showing His apostles and His disciples and His followers, the paralytic and His friend, that I have the power to heal. And there's going to come a day when I'm going to heal everyone in the new heavens 
at the new earth. And so when we come to this passage, when we come to Mark chapter 2, we're not only reminded that Jesus is going to bring perfect, lasting peace in the age to come, perfect healing, but that He also has the authority to forgive sins. See, we look at this passage and we think about the paralytic, we think of the great journey that his friends undertook to get him there and how they pulled the roof apart to drop him before Jesus and how he was healed and how great that is and how wonderful that is. And then we begin to think about relatives and friends and our own issues and our own struggles, that that will be healed one day. And sometimes we overlook the fact that Jesus is saying in verse 10 that I have the authority to forgive sins. And that's the bigger issue. Because our sin separates us from God. Our sin damns us. Our sin cripples us. Our sin sucks from us any hope or joy or peace. Our sins are darkness. And Jesus is saying in this passage as the one who has come to bring the kingdom, as the Messiah, as the Redeemer, as the one who has all authority, I can forgive your sins. And so it's the greatest cure for the greatest problem that we have as God's people. And so we come here on a weekly basis. We come here on the Lord's Day to present ourselves to Jesus and to be reminded that our older brother loves us so much He forgives us. And I think that's something that sometimes in our culture is something we just hear over and over and over and we can often forget the significance of it. That I was doomed, that I was apart from God, that I was separated from Him, that I had no hope in this life and the life to come and Jesus with all authority with full authority as king, as the one who enters Jerusalem on the donkey, comes to me and says, you belong to me. I accept you. I have redeemed you. Your sins have been erased. Your sins have been done done away with because I have the authority to do that as the Son of God and Son of Man. What a good word. What a good word for us as God's people that He has that authority that He can do that. And then Jesus not only has authority over our fears, He not only has authority over sin, over blindness, deafness, and muteness. Mark chapter 10, 46-52, I'm not going to read the whole passage, but He comes to Bartimaeus, the blind beggar, sitting by the roadside. And Bartimaeus cries out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And they bring blind Bartimaeus to Jesus and he heals him. He recovers his sight. And notice this. This is the last part of 52. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. The implication is that as Jesus is riding his donkey into Jerusalem, as he's going to the temple, as he's ascending the hill, Bartimaeus is there. 
Bartimaeus has now had sight and he's following after his king, his lord, his savior who has all authority over his life. Now we've been working our way through the Gospel of Mark chapter by chapter and verse by verse and one of the things that we've seen on a regular basis is Jesus heals those who are blind and Jesus heals those who are deaf and those who are mute. Now if you understand the Old Testament and we've been talking about this, this is the fulfillment of the prophecies that a king would come who would do this. And so Mark is telling his audience, he's telling us, heads up, no reason to look any further, don't have any doubts, here he is. This is the long-awaited figure from the Old Testament who would do all of those things. His authority means that he can make the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the mute to speak. He has arrived. He is coming for his people. And as we dwell on the text and we think about the text, it has an application for us. Because when we understand our sinful nature, when we understand who we were apart from Christ, we know that we also were blind and we were deaf and we were mute. We could not see God. We could not hear God. We could not speak of the things of God. We were blind in our sin. We were held captive. We were in bondage because of our sin. Then, here comes Jesus. And He has done for us what He has done for others in the Gospels. He has opened our eyes so that we can see His sacrifice, we can see His atonement, we can see the cross. He has opened our ears so that we can hear the Word of God. And we know that faith comes by hearing. We are no longer deaf to the things of God. We now hear the sweet words of Jesus. And we come to Him. And we submit our hearts to Him. We submit our lives to Him. And we were mute. We did not want to speak of Christ. We did not want to speak of a holy and sovereign and loving God. We did not want to speak of the work of the Holy Spirit because we were opposed to the things of the kingdom. We had rebelled against God. Paul talks about, and it's uncomfortable, but Paul talks about the evilness that exists in our own sin. That we were not just people who had done wrong, not people that had just maybe messed up once or twice, that apart from God, we are evil. And here comes Jesus. And He comes and He heals us and He corrects everything. Why? Because God the Father is giving Him the authority to do this through resurrection power. Jesus is the one true Israelite who obeyed the covenant perfectly. And because He obeyed the covenant perfectly, He earns all the blessings of the covenant. And so then He comes to His people and He says, have this and have this and have this. Come into My family. Be with Me. Come to the Father. He opens our eyes so we can see, our mouths to speak, our ears to hear. We're adopted. We have union with Him. We are loved and everything is being made right. So we rejoice today because of the authority that Jesus has over all things. That authority gives us hope. That authority gives us a second chance. And finally, Mark chapter 5, 
verse 35 through 36. If you'll look in your text this morning, chapter 5, verses 35 through 36. Jesus has authority even over death. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And we know the latter part of the story where Jesus goes into the ruler's home and he brings his daughter back to life. Jesus has authority over death. Now, if you're anything like me, you just take death and you put it in a file and you put it in the very back of your filing cabinet. I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to talk about it. It's just going to be hidden back there. Let me tell you, In the journey of helping Vicky's father into assisted living, we're going in and out of this facility where people are there in some sense to die. And when you walk through the door, you can smell it. And when you walk through the aisles, you see it. And it's it's a reality that you can't escape from in that moment. Because I think most of the time in our daily lives, we avoid it. We just simply want to avoid it. But the Word of God is telling us, the Word of God is teaching us, if we are God's people, death is nothing more. It's nothing more than entrance into the kingdom. That death is nothing more than a door by which we glorious gloriously enter into the throne room of grace and we see Jesus. It's transactional. It's not punishment. It's glory. And it's worship. And it's a banquet. And it's King Jesus. And He's telling us in this text, as the King of the Kingdom, I want to give you a glimpse of what it will be like one day. You see this little girl who's dead? She's not dead. Not when she belongs to me. Not when I have authority. Not when I'm the king. No. And he raises her up. Just like Lazarus. And that's who Jesus is as Lord and Savior for us this morning. Death has been conquered. We have nothing to fear. And so we live this life for the glory of God because we know that it has no hold on us. Because Jesus has been resurrected and because we belong to Him, we have, and it's actually in the Greek when you look in the epistles of Paul, excuse me, in Corinthians, that we have already been resurrected because Jesus has already been resurrected. It's a done deal. In the words of Christ, it is finished. And so that's the hope we have this morning. That He has authority over death. 
that He has authority over sin, that He has authority over our fears, and that He has authority over us and all things. That's how great Jesus is and you belong to Him. And if you don't, go to Him this day. Go to Him right now. Be given your heart. Let Him have authority over you. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank You that You are the one with full authority over Your people, that You are King and that You are Lord, that You are Master, that You are perfect in all Your ways. Lord God, we rejoice in this and we thank You for all that You do for us. It's in Your name we pray. Amen.